Welcome to the MLM.com podcast. I'm your host, Kenny Rollins. In today's episode, we are talking with the founder and CEO of InfoTrack Systems, Mark Rollins. InfoTrax is the premier technology provider in the direct sales industry. InfoTrax delivers the only comprehensive direct sales solution on the market. From commission strategies to advanced communication tools, InfoTrax provides the scalability your business demands for long-term success. Mark's career spans more than 35 years. He is recognized as one of the pioneers and dominant leaders in the MLM and network marketing industry. Additionally, Mark is considered the market expert on commission plan design and implementation. For purposes of full disclosure, MLM.com is owned and maintained by InfoTrack Systems. I also am an InfoTrack employee. We hope that you'll set that aside and appreciate the insight and analysis that comes in our interview today. So I'm here with Mark Rollins, who is the founder and CEO of InfoTrack Systems, and I uh, wanted to talk to Mark a little bit about uh, what he's seen in the industry. Um, he's worked in the industry for over 35 years, and obviously we've seen a lot of technology changes. Um, really, my focus in these first few podcast episodes has been um, where the industry is going, and I think getting Mark's perspective both on where we've come from and where we're going will be be helpful. Um, So Mark, obviously we've seen uh, a lot of regulatory activity and a lot of shifts in the way that that MLMs are are doing business. Uh, What do you attribute that to? Why why are we seeing that now? Um, And has there been another time in the industry that you've seen that that there's been so much kind of unease and and change? Well, I mean, there's been Regulatory has been an issue we have dealt with for as long as I've been in the industry. Uh, Back in the early days, we dealt with the post office investigators for postal fraud and, you know, all sorts of things. Uh, You know, uh, there was the first pyramid scam that I knew of was when I was very young. It was a product called Dare to be Great by Glenn W. Turner. He went to jail for it or for something. Um, So it's always kind of been there, but it does seem like there has been some high-profile cases in the last couple of years. Uh, It it may just be uh, 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 luck, or it may just be, um, you know, freak. You know, sometimes lightning does, in fact, strike twice in the same place. Mm -hmm. And so you had Herbalife and the reasons they were uh, investigated. And then Vima, the reason they were investigated was very different, but they were both very very high profile. So I think, and then the other thing that I think is, is it's become much easier for the... Invest for the regulatory agencies to investigate. It used to be they had to sign somebody had to sign up as a distributor and go off and go to meetings and you know find out about conference calls and listens in on them. Now now they just go to YouTube and listen to all the things that distributors say and they find the ones that say the most outrageous things and some newspaper goes undercover. Uh, and has a meeting with them and, and records them. And so I think maybe some of that's it. But um, I, I, I think regulatory's always been with us. Uh, 
and I think it will continue to be with us. Yeah, and I, I think that's an interesting point that I, that I hadn't considered is kind of technology uh, maybe grew a little bit faster than, than the companies knew how to deal with it. And, and not just in the sense of like uh, YouTube and, and things like that, but any amateur now can do undercover camera work uh, right. without hardly any, any work at all. Uh, so you do get just a lot of claims that are easy to get a lot of traction. Uh, and so, so that is interesting to think about just, you know, you go back, um, even 10 years ago and it wasn't common to have a at least a very good camera on your phone. And now people have 4k quality cameras right and, on their phone. And you certainly didn't have enough memory to record a 30 minute meeting. Yeah. Whereas, and if you pulled out a video camera in a meeting, they'd kick you out. Right. Uh, now, nobody thinks anything about people back in the back with an iPhone. Yeah. Uh, so, so yeah, I, I think some of it's that. Uh, certainly, the industry needs to do a better job. Um, but I think, I don't think, I, I personally, uh, I'm not a lawyer. I don't play one on TV, don't want to be one. Uh, so I leave law to the the attorneys, but I personally don't think it's going to be the regulatory agencies that cause the rise or fall of the industry. It's the industry itself and its practices. Yeah, and I, I would actually almost think that more of, of maybe the threat to the industry is just the way that... Uh, the consumer market's changing, period. I mean, it, right. and that's not true just for the MLM industry. I mean, you see Target and Walmart and all of these people who are worried about Amazon and the fact that they're using technology to be very disruptive. Um, and we've got to respond to the same types of threats, right? There are more and more ways to get products cheaper and cheaper. Um, and MLM has always lent itself to... Uh, the culture that people want to be a part of, high quality products and products that need an education to them. Um, and I think there's still going to be that market moving forward. Yeah, uh, I've always said if, if, if a person has all the information they need to walk into a, a big box store and find a product like yours and select one and buy it and walk out, and they have all the information they need to do to make that purchase and use that product, you have no chance of selling it in MLM. MLM is for products that require what uh, Paul Zane Pilzer, who's an economist, a great economist, said is intellectual distribution. Uh, you, it requires, um, I call it my METS theory, motivation, education, training, or support. You know, one of those things have to be part of it in order for um, for a company to be successful. One of the very successful companies in the 1990s was Creative Memories. What did Creative Memories sell? It sold scrapbooking. You could buy scrapbooking at every craft store in this in this country, but or you could buy Creative Memories, very expensive crafts scrapbook supplies that were not standard size, so you had to use their supplies. And they became a, a several hundred million dollar company. Why? 
because they didn't sell scrapbook supplies, they sold scrapbooking experiences. My wife went to scrapbooking parties and her and her friends and people who became her friends sat around and, and, and laughed and anyway, so it, it was the experience. Yeah, and you're sharing ideas and, and yeah, that culture of support that, that people get from it as well. But let's go back to your disruptive technologies. The disruptive technology cuts for and against MLM. The internet is now so crowded and search engines are so overwhelmed that you can't just go out, start up a website and sell product. Nobody will ever find your website. So then you have to use Amazon or uh, or sell in Amazon store and they'll take 30% or sell uh, in Apple's store if it's a technology product they'll take 30% and then you have to go do Google AdWord buys and that'll take plus you have to hire the expert to do it and so for the average MLM that's paying 40 cents on the dollar and so most of the, if you sell on Amazon, they take a third of the price. It's what they take if you're selling low volume items. So uh, that's a 33%. Most MLMs, uh, direct selling companies, if you're not talking party plan, uh, uh, pay out 40% of the wholesale dollar in commissions. So you're within 7% and so but you don't have to do all the marketing, you have to do all the web analytics. And so it's become a point where direct selling, if I have a great product, uh, I can afford to pay the sales force the same thing I would have to pay Amazon or any of these other people. So we're on equal footing with them, but we've got to provide a better experience, right? Now, Okay, great, I got something on my website. Now, they're going to expect the exact same experience that they get on Amazon. And the industry as a whole has done a terrible job of recognizing that and becoming Amazon. Uh, the other thing is, is if you're going to get customers in, then the, then the site should look identical to Amazon. Well, not identical, but, uh, and you shouldn't log in and first see how many people you sponsored this month and how many this, da, 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 da. you should see the shopping cart because you're a customer. So, you know, there are things that the industry needs to do differently. Um, you know, um, if you're, if you've, you've got salespeople, you need to treat them differently. You need to talk to them differently. You need to not put your talks to salespeople and sales leaders on YouTube, right? The pharmaceuticals don't put their talks, their salespeople on YouTube. They end up there oftentimes, but they don't put them there. And so companies are gonna have to start saying, look, we have customers and we have salespeople and sales leaders. Uh, customers have an experience that is like Amazon. Salespeople and sales leaders have a sales leader and sales experience when they go to the web. So uh, that that's where I think the industry is sort of missing the boat right now and needs to catch up and wake up. Well, and in talking about disruptive technologies that, that then kind of work for 
um, for the industry, you know, we live in an era where just in the last six months, you know, fake news has become such a buzzword. And really what's underneath the fake news is not whether it's fake news or not fake news. It's the distrust of what we hear because with the internet, you can saturate people with seeds of doubt. And, and more and more, I think we're going to see a return to um, the value of a personal recommendation. Right. Uh, because people can manipulate ratings online. I mean, it used to be that, yeah, you, you very much trusted the, the mass of people who rate a product or don't rate a product. But I think, you know, people are more and more worried about the quality of the products they're using, especially when it comes to things that their family are using. And so much of the MLM space is health and wellness, right? Um, and, and that personal recommendation is going to go further and further I think right. with people, which is why Google and Amazon try and get you to rate the products. But of course, the company can create fake ratings. They buy their own product, then they go put a, a fake rating in, and people now know that that happens. And so, but you cannot create a fake rating of somebody you have a personal relationship with. So we have challenges, but we have lots. Of, uh, of things going for us. Uh, you know, I, when I started in this industry, the hardest thing going against us was the model itself. I had this product I was trying to sell you. Back in those days, you either bought from Sears and Robux catalog or you went to a brick and mortar store. And so you're trying to tell me that I just write an order to you and you're gonna deliver the product. Uh, you know, people just were so confused by the model. But now we're asking them to go to the internet and buy product. People go to the internet and buy product every single day. Yeah. You know, worst thing I ever did was sign up for Amazon Prime. Yeah. Now there's a, a package that shows up at my door every day. Yeah, because it's so easy. And so, yeah, it's no longer this thing where we're trying to overcome. Uh, the skepticism of people in a lot of ways now uh, skepticism works in our favor uh, because of the model right now it's not skepticism about the delivery it's skepticism about the quality of the product the fact that it's very hard to go and talk to a salesperson these days because so much is done online and now you can actually you know especially when you start talking party plans or distributors that do a good job of carrying a little bit of inventory they can help you use the product, see the difference in them, uh, educate you on it. So I think that that starts to work very much for us. I also think the the training, I think we got a little bit behind in um, monitoring what was said and done through social media. But now with technology, you can provide a much better training experience at a much lower cost to an initial distributor. They don't have to fly into a training. They can do it online at their own pace. You can provide pre-canned messages. Uh, and that's another opportunity that I, I think uh, the, the industry has is to, to capitalize on that. Yeah, and so really the pro the industry has right now is, is selling product is about the same as going out and if you have some new product and going out and selling it through Amazon or, or you know, using Google, all those things. So 
so we can be pretty cost uh, competitive. Um, so the the so and and the sky's the limit as far as the products, as long as the products require some interaction, uh, personal recommendation, discussion of how to use them. That's why you see more, you know, for a long time, in back in the 90s and the early 2000s, you had a lot of one product companies. Well, what does a one product company do for ongoing personal interaction. I set the bottle of juice in front of me and say, drink the juice. If you feel better, drink more. If you don't feel better, don't drink more. You know, uh, and, and where's the ongoing interaction? But now you see companies that have dozens of products or hundreds of products. And so there's a reason for a community to form, to have discussions about how to use them, to have discussions about what worked and what didn't, all of those kinds of things. Obviously, companies need to monitor those because somebody will sure as heck, if there's an Ebola scare, will say it's going to cure Ebola. And you got to make sure that's cleared up. But, but there are tools to, to do those kind of things. So we, we have those benefits. So if you have a product that, that requires that personal interaction for either motivation, education, training, or sport, uh, and you have the web tools that allow you to really give a good customer experience. And then in the compensation plan world, we've kind of gotten lost a little bit where if you're going to have customers, then you have to have people who sell to customers. Um, and you have to have people who are committed to sell to customers. And so many companies have this idea that the compensation plan is like an escalator, that once you get on it, you just continue to go up, that you start out as a customer or whatever you want to call it, and then I'm a salesperson, and then I'm a sales leader, and then I'm a bigger sales leader, and then I'm a dream builder, and then I'm a millionaire, and then I retire. Well, that's not how it works. Most people who, who have the skill to go out and talk to people, those extroverts who, who can go out and sell to 50 or 100 people uh, or 10 or 20 people, they may, that, they may be perfectly content with that. And you need to pay those people, and the compensation need, plan needs to reward those people enough that it's worth it to them to bring customers in and that they don't have to go on to the next level of training customers how to bring in customers in order for it to be a financially viable experience. Uh, the other thing I think companies get trapped in is they think that uh, somebody making three or four hundred dollars a month or even two or three hundred dollars a month isn't enough money. Not true. We, we've looked at the stats over and over and over again. People will stay for two or three hundred dollars a month forever right. if, if the amount of work they put in it is composite with their, with, with is, yeah, compares with their compensation. I, I call it the McDonald's test. If they spend 
if the time they spend to get this $200 is more than 10 or 15 hours, then they might as well go work, go work at McDonald's. Yeah. Ultimately, they'll get up to over $15 an hour. So you got to make sure that somebody can get make $20 or $30 an hour selling if they're good at it. And then, uh, and so that's one group, and you think of salespeople as that. And then you have sales leaders who can bring in salespeople and train salespeople, but they are a different group, and it's not an escalator. Most people who join this business know whether they want to be a salesperson or a sales leader the day they join, well, or know, a customer. Yeah, and it's interesting. I had a, a conversation a few years ago with a woman who sold Pampered Shift, and the whole reason she got into it was her husband worked full-time and was happy with his job, uh, but they wanted to buy a newer car because they had a car that just kept breaking down and had all these problems. Uh, and the whole reason she got into it was because she liked Pampered Chef, and she her goal was to offset the cost of a new car. And that was her only motivation. Uh, and then, you know, once they had the car taken care of, then she just kept wanting to make that little bit of, of supplemental income. And I think too often, like you said, people think that a person like that is frustrated because they're not making it to the top of the escalator when for them that was the top of the escalator. She wants to host a few parties a month, uh, make a couple of hundred, a couple hundred dollars to supplement their income, and, and she's happy with that. Yeah, and so, you know, I've written two books on compensation plan there. There's my one plug for the yeah. thing. And when people say, what's the one thing that, that people get wrong, I say, Paying their salespeople, right? You've got to pay your salespeople. And it's not that easy to do right because you can't pay a customer for their own sales as if they're a salesperson. So you have to have qualifications to be a salesperson that makes sense. But if they are a salesperson who are actually bringing in customers, you need to pay them enough that it's worth it for them to stay. Yeah. So uh, we don't have a lot of time left, but you and I have talked a couple times, and, and I want to get your thoughts on this, uh, in how the industry has evolved over the past decade versus the industry that we had through the 90s and through, you know, the, the aughts of the 2000s. Well, in my mind, uh, if you look at the modern MLM industry from 1990 to today, there were two periods. There was before the Great Recession and after the Great Recession of 2008. Uh, I think it was Warren Buffett who said about the Great Recession, you don't see who's swimming naked until the tide goes out. And we saw that a lot of companies were swimming naked when the tide went out. Uh, one of the big differences is up until 2008, companies succeeded by convincing people they could get rich. And they could get a lot of people to sign up and, and throw $100 in this product a month on the hope that they could get rich someday. Uh, and to some extent, companies were forced into it because of the stock market of the 1990s. I had a friend who worked a business, was quite successful, was getting more successful. I said, is your husband enjoying you? She said, no, 
He, he drives truck for UPS and when he retires, he'll have a million and a half dollars in retirement. And at the time I thought, man, if we can't hire, if we can't convince UPS truck drivers to move into this industry to help support their wife who's doing, already very successful, we have a real problem. And the way the industry solved the problem is by promising every more, the word, the word, I think the pinnacle was a company who promised uh, if you hit their top level of achievement, they would give you a ride on the space plane that was supposed to fly in 2012 or whatever. Uh, after 2008, that just died. For whatever reason, America's woke, woke up from this bender they went on from 1990 to 2008 where they just expected that the stock market would just keep going up and up and up and up and up and you put a hundred bucks a month in the stock market and you'd end up rich and now and now we're going back to where we were in the 80s and 70s you know you have to work uh, and people are looking for a few hundred dollars extra bucks a month for mad money, for, for money to take a vacation once a year. Uh, and so the companies that have su su succeeded are companies who have product with real value and are, are, are made for this industry because they require motivation, education, training, or sport, and they have a compensation plan that allows a person who know who has that natural sales gene in them to work 10 hours a month and make a couple hundred bucks a month to work 10 hours a week and make 800 bucks a month you know but they can decide what it is yeah and I, I think along with that you see uh, a reduction in some of the average orders or not necessarily the average orders but the upfront purchases that people are trying to sell the the large packs and thing like and things like that and then fewer one product companies like you've already talked about right that it seems like we have reset to a more reasonable expectation of saying okay this isn't uh, just about a business opportunity this is about providing quality products to customers and allowing people who are entrepreneurial to come in and either make a part-time income or even a full-time income uh, but it, it's a business opportunity that people need to take seriously uh, and, and separate and aside from the business opportunities, the products play a prominent role. Yeah. And, uh, and the last thing I would say is give a nod to the regulatory and the legal people. The reality is I have never seen a company where more than... 40% of the people sponsored anyone. So in all of the companies I've ever seen that were had success of any sort, 60% of the people sponsored no one. So those people are by definition customers. The problem is, is because we sign them up as distributors, the FTC in the VEMA case came down very clearly. If you're gonna sign them up as distributors, then they're distributors. They're not, because we tend to say, well, they're customers, they're buying the product. The FTC says, no, they are failed, they are failed distributors if they don't make any money. 
So we do have to change our business practices. So we bring people in who are gonna just buy the product at wholesale and we bring them in, we call them customers. That's what they are. Uh, and then we make it an easy transition if they decide they want to start referring a few friends and become a distributor, then we have a transition process. It doesn't have to be an onerous process, but we do need them to pop up a page and say, hey, I'm converting to a distributor. Uh, you know, they sign it and off they go. Uh, maybe they buy a small sales kit when they do that. But we, it doesn't have to be an onerous process, but it has to be the process that we build on. We, you know, if somebody want, knows they want to be a salesperson, great. You sign them up as a salesperson. Uh, or if they, someone want, knows they want to be a distributor, great. You sign up as a distributor. But if they're just going to use the product, you sign them up as a customer. And then the first time they refer somebody, to the company or the second time or the third time you make them a distributor yeah or or you allow for for some sort of referral program that says hey i'm, I'm not a business person and i think that is one of the things that, that does need to happen is a clearer line of the sand in, in the sand for that person signing up saying hey i really am pursuing this as a business opportunity because it's clear that regulators are going to hold us to that kind of based on on the status that a person comes in as and right. for too long we've we've treated this kind of like a costco membership when it's clear that the regulators aren't looking at it like that right so well we appreciate your time uh and your thoughts and uh look forward to chatting again all right thank you that's it for today's episode of the mlm.com podcast Thank you for listening, and we hope that you found today's information useful. You can support us by rating us on iTunes or reaching out to us through MLM.com. We would love to hear your feedback and the issues you would like addressed. Also, special thanks to Mark for his time and expertise, and thanks to the MLM.com editorial staff for support, especially Janet Bangeter and Adam Holdaway for their production support. I'm Kenny Rollins, and we look forward to our next episode.